So uh, to our online audience, my name is Stephen Feith, lead pastor of Madison Church. Glad that you're here. Jesus is known for his profound wisdom and paradigm-breaking teaching. Even 2,000 years later, after Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, we find ourselves challenged to live in the ways that he has called us to live. You might think that after 2,000 years, we'd get better at it, it'd be easier, but neither of those things are true. It's still as difficult today as it was 2,000 years ago. And I want to start today not with a story, not with stats, not with a joke, but with a quote by Jesus, a very short statement that's simple at first, but is one of his most countercultural teachings of all times. For 2,000 years, this has been challenging people. He's quoted as saying in Acts 20, verse 35, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, what's odd about this statement is that I'm imagining most of you have heard this. Maybe you didn't know it was Jesus who said it, but most of you have heard this thing, and you probably agree with it to a point, right? It's a, well, you'd agree that it, to a point it's better. You'd at least acknowledge that there's an aspect to it that's valid. Jesus is not saying it's wrong to receive. He's just saying that it's not as good as giving. And I think I can prove that for you today. I, every year we do a holiday gift drive with a community center on the west side. And what we do is we go out and we buy presents for um, kids who might not otherwise have gifts for Christmas. And you don't know them. Like we don't get to meet the kids. We don't get to hand them the kids. But every year, the first Sunday that we say, here are the gift tags, they all get taken. And then you all go out and you all buy gifts for complete strangers that you're never going to meet. And you find a lot of joy in that. And some of you might say, I find more joy in buying a present for a stranger I don't know who might not have gifts this holiday season than I would if I, if I got something, even if it was something I really wanted. And so right there, we can all nod our heads and agree, yeah, that giving is uh, better than receiving in a lot of ways. And so then the question is, why do we maybe only do it once a year around Christmas? Right? I mean, that's the gift years or maybe a birthday. We'll do that too. But what is it about giving that maybe we know it's better than receiving, but we don't do it more often? Today, we're in the final part of a three-part series called Finding Financial Freedom. And this is easily the hardest topic we cover every other year at Madison Church. Why? Because talking about finances can make us feel guilty, can make us feel ashamed. Depending on your upbringing, there might have been a lot of guilt and shame around money, might not have been enough. And as such, money might have been a source of conflict and pain. For you growing up, maybe right now, we know inflation's weird, the economy's weird, people are losing their jobs. All of these things are an issue. So we know that money is a source of conflict and pain. And these are the exact reasons. The things that make it hard to talk about, the things that make it hard to talk about in this space are the reasons that we talk about it. We also do it because the Bible talks more about money and possessions than any other topic combined, either directly or indirectly. One third of the Bible has to do with money and possessions. It's like God knew people in every culture, whether they you know, have a dollar or something else, like people are going to struggle with money. They're either going to be really rich, they're going to be really, really poor, and there's going to be stresses for people who have a lot of wealth, and there's going to be stresses for people who don't. And so God is dealing with it. God knows that of everything that can harm our relationship with, with Him, of everything that can harm our spirituality, He's pointing at finances and saying, red flag, this could be it. No, so that's why we're doing these studies. None of those experiences that I talk about with the guilt, the shame, the conflict, that doesn't sound like freedom. And yet we're promised in the biblical text, you can experience financial freedom and you don't have to have a million dollars 
to experience it. That's the good news for all of us today. You don't have to be a millionaire to experience financial freedom. Throughout the last two weeks and today, what I've hoped to have done is to present you what some of the biblical texts talk about when it comes to money and possessions. As I said, one third of it deals with money and possessions. So I couldn't in the last three weeks, unpack a third of the Bible with you. That would just be way too impossible to do. But I hope that over the last two weeks, and I hope today that in doing so, and and talking about things like less is more, and and more isn't always better, talking about how debt isn't great for you, how stress is bad, I hope that in the process of doing these things, that you're drawing closer to God. I hope that we're removing this barrier that is finances, and moving it so that you can have a better relationship with God. And what I hope is that by tomorrow morning, as I've been saying for the last three weeks, I hope that by tomorrow morning, you're experiencing more financial peace tomorrow than you were three weeks ago because of the stuff that we've talked about today and the last couple of weeks. Of course, you got to put it into practice, right? I can talk about it all day till I'm blue in the face. We'll have 90 minutes of content on YouTube that you can go back and rewatch. But ultimately, it's up to a choice that you make. How am I going to go about and live? So... Two weeks ago, we talked about that idea that less is more. We wanted to deal with the hearts. We live in a society that tells us and sells us you don't have enough. You need a newer car. You need a better car. They got this new refrigerator out there. You know, you need this upgrade for your home. And we kind of pursue more and more and more. And what we talked about was like they did a big study of millionaires. And they said, how much money do you need? And to be happy or to increase your happiness. And it was 85% of them said anywhere from five to 10 times more. So it wasn't this like you don't get to this destination where it's like $1 million or $10 million and all of a sudden you feel like you've arrived. The truth is, is that you've got to arrive where you're presently at. And then last week we talked about getting out of debt and stress. We talked about how God wants us to be out of debt, that God doesn't want you to be stressed. And today we're going to talk about um, the subject that many of us struggle with, and that is generosity. And there are lots of ways to talk about generosity, but today I want to just talk to you about it in terms of what the biblical texts say about giving back to God through the lens of this is God's will for your life. Jesus' statement, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive, flies in the face of our way of life and many of our daily habits. And as such, Jesus is saying, you're missing out. There's something better. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And so when we don't live that way, Jesus is saying you're robbing yourself of something better. You're settling for something less, something that's not as good for you. And giving is good. And yet many of us struggle to live a life of intentional and proactive generosity. What I mean is, I know you all are generous in some capacity. I get it. But I think a lot of times how we express our generosity, how we, how we practice it, I think it's both unintentional and I think it's reactive. It's unintentional and it's reactive. We wait for the opportunity to give and then we're going to give to the need and then we're going to walk away. It's unintentional and it's reactive. And we struggle to faithfully and generously give back to God on the regular. But if we know that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, if we're taking Jesus seriously, if Jesus really meant that, Why don't we focus more on that? And why don't we walk in the way that he's telling us to? Well, I get to talk to a lot of people. I get to talk to a lot of people about this subject all the time. When you check that box, they'd like to know more information about giving back. These are one of the conversations that we get to have. And I think that there are three primary struggles that people say when it comes to being proactive and intentional about generosity. The first one is just, you're just not in the habit. Like you've just never done it before. 
It's just never been a part of your life. You didn't do it. You've never done it. Your parents never did it. You don't have friends who do it. You're just not in the habit. So when it comes up, yeah, you'll give to the Christmas fundraiser. You'll do that. And like I said, we're celebrating that. Nothing wrong with that. That's great. But for a lot of people becoming more proactive and intentional, it's like, well, I've just never been proactive or intentional about that before. And so we want to start to center our lives around God. Um, Two, it's easy to neglect giving back to God because we just keep our finances private. Like we don't really want to talk about it with anybody. We might talk to about it with our partners out of obligation because we have to. We have shared income, right? So we have to talk about it. But for the rest of us, you're not talking to your friends about this. You're not talking to your kids about this. You're not talking to anyone about this. So one of the reasons that we don't ever talk about generosity is because we're uncomfortable about it. Um, A third reason, and I believe that this is the predominant reason that we don't get more proactive and intentional about giving back to God is because we live with a scarcity mindset. It's a scarcity mindset. And what I mean is like, this is the lingering thought. I know this for a lot of us, we have a scarcity mindset to some degree. It's a thought in the back of my head. It's the feeling that I don't have enough to be generous right now. It's the idea that I will at some point after I pay off the debt, after I really agree that less is more, I will get there. A scarcity mindset practically looks like this. I need to do this project in my house before my house will be good enough. My house currently isn't good enough, but if I do this, then it will. That's a scarcity mindset. The new car my neighbor bought makes my car look like a circus toy. I need a new car. I need a better car, a newer one. We'll never be able to afford as nice of of vacations like my sister-in-law can. Scarcity mindset. I'll never. It's just never, ever going to happen. I've certainly had these thoughts. I would imagine that you all have as well. And it is. It's true because in America, the United States of America, we're programmed at birth and we're told and we're sold. I mean, you get on Facebook, you get on Instagram, there's ads. You turn on the TV, there's ads. You get on the radio, there's ads. You get that random phone number that says scam likely. It's an ad. They're trying to get you. And so we're very defensive about this. And then, But what happens is, is that then we convince ourselves that we need. We need. It's not a want. It's I need the best. I need the newest. I need the biggest. And then what happens is the scarcity mindset that I can't give right now because I don't have enough. It's kind of like week one. We talked about you don't ever just arrive and say that I finally have enough. My house is finally big enough. My, my car is finally new enough. You never arrive. And so the scarcity mindset is behind that, that keeps pushing us forward. Now, what's the opposite of a scarcity mindset, right? Because like, knowing what the scarcity mindset is. Okay, check. Yeah, I've got that. What, what's opposite? Well, it's an abundance mindset. And an abundance mindset is the choice to say that God always provides, that I can trust in God and that God will provide. And so the abundance mindset looks around at the, your house, at your car, your job, at your vacations, whatever it might be. And what your mindset then is, is that it's gratitude. It's gratitude for the car that you have. It's gratitude for the house that you have. It's contentment. I'm fine with what I have. The vacation, no, it's not as nice as my sister-in-law's, but you know what? This is my vacation and I can enjoy this just as much. And it's joy. It's joy. It's joy that money can't buy. It's joy that you don't get to a certain number in your bank account and, and you experience it, but it's joy. And this abundance mindset wells up in us a desire to pass the blessing forward and to be richly generous. Today, we're going to be reading out of 2 Corinthians, and we're going to begin with chapter 8. If you want to follow along with the house Bibles, I'll have the words on the screen. 
But Paul is going to talk about the abundance mindset, what it looks like with a group of believers in Macedonia. And he says, beginning, uh, like I said, chapter 8, verse 1, Paul writes, now I want you to know. Now let me back up. Paul is writing to a church in Corinth. So there's a church over here, and this is who Paul is writing to, about. Now, he's talking to this other church over here about this church over here in Macedonia. Okay, So this letter, he's using these guys as an example. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done to the churches in Macedonia, they are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy. Aha, it's possible to be very poor and filled with joy which has overflowed, their joy has overflowed in rich generosity. For I, Paul, can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for believers in Jerusalem. So Paul is writing to this church who's apparently not very generous. Apparently, they're not as poor as these guys. They're not as generous as these guys. And Paul isn't guilting or shaming them. I don't, I mean, I don't get that. I read that. I don't get that. But I think he's saying, look at these guys who have far less than you, and they've given far more, and they've got way more joy than you guys do. And so maybe it's not a matter of how much. Maybe it's a matter of your heart. He says, these guys in Macedonia, they're going through some real severe trials. And you can imagine 2,000 years ago where there's not social security or Medicare or healthcare. Uh, there's no food stamps. You can imagine that when he's talking about severe trials, we're talking about people who probably don't have enough money to eat full meals a day. We're talking about people who don't have money to get the healthcare that they need. They're going through real severe trials. And in my mind, I, I imagine that if anyone would have been justified to not give to believers in Jerusalem, it would have been them but it says that they are very poor. And you got to think way poorer than American poor, okay? Because like, right, that's, that's a contextual thing, okay? There's America poor, and then there's like world poor. And our poor doesn't quite equal, in a lot of ways, most ways, world poor. So he says they're very poor, but they're filled with joy. They're filled with joy. Someone needs to hear that today. You're poor, okay? You're getting paid minimum wage, whatever. And you're like, well, if I just got paid more, I'd experience joy. Paul says, no, you can experience joy right now. You could have experienced joy yesterday. Make the choice. He says, I can testify that they gave not just what they could afford. It's like the church sat around like, well, this is what we could afford. And then they gave more than that. That's something that the trustees at Madison Church, we'd be like, I'd have to fight them to do that, right? And be like, no, we can do it. Like, we can't afford it. And Paul says, they did it of their own free will. Paul wasn't twisting arms. He wasn't manipulating. They chose to do this. He says, as a matter of fact, we have to unpack this statement. They begged again and again. What does that mean? It implies that they gave, and Paul said, thank you, now stop. And they begged him. They said, no, can we please give more? And Paul said, no. And they begged to give more, even though they were poor, going through many trials they had already given. They had to ask. And so Paul says, yeah, sure. And this is all possible because of the grace. Some of your translations, if you're reading a different translation than the NLT, the NLT says, because of God's kindness. Uh, in other translations, it says the grace God has given. The grace God has given. So it was because of God's grace, God's kindness, that this church was able to give beyond themselves, give beyond their means, beyond anything that seemed to make sense. Something that a financial advisor would say, don't do that. But they were able to do it. 
And as you all know, or you should know, or I'm going to clarify for you right now, I want you to confidently know you don't earn God's grace. It's a gift. It's given to you. And it should make you uncomfortable how great God's grace is. It should. It's beyond anything you and I can understand. It's something that we have received. And Paul challenges us to grow in our grace. So we're covered in grace. And Paul says, you're covered in grace. Now grow in your grace. In verse seven, he says, since you excel in so many ways, he's talking about the church in Corinth now, he says, you, you excel in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love from us. Well, those are all great things. But again, Paul's tackling the issue of generosity with this church. He says, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I want you to excel in this gift. You have great speakers. You have great teachers, great programming. You can almost imagine him talking to a modern day church, right? You have the laser lights and you have really comfortable chairs and the band rocks and the kids ministry. It's like Chuck E. Cheese found the Lord. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's all of those things. And he's like, but you know, the one thing that you struggle in, the one thing you struggle in is that you're not generous and that you need to grow in your generosity just like any other aspect of your faith, any other aspect of your faith. And so, are you willing to pray? Am I willing to pray this prayer for ourselves, the bold prayer that God help me to grow in this gracious act of giving? Don't pray it if you don't mean it, okay? Because God will say, yes, I'll help you. I will. But as you think about it and you think about generosity and you think about growing in this gift as all of these other areas, are you willing to say, you know what, this is scary. This is a real step out of the boat moment and see if I can walk on water. Am I willing to pray that? And then I began to wonder as I wrote this out, I said, what would it be like to get this vision? What would it be like if everybody in here individually prayed that prayer? God, help me grow in this grace of generosity. Help me to grow. What if everyone individually did that? Me, you, and then collectively we came together and all of those resources come together. How might that change the city of Madison? How might that change our neighborhoods? How might that change the lives of the families in here? Not because you're going to receive, but because you're giving and you're stretching yourself and you're going beyond what you thought was possible. What's going to require you to trust God, right? Trust God. And I'm not just saying, say it, but I'm saying, practice it. And the way that you can trust God and begin to walk and grow in this step of faith is by being generous now. I believe that getting started giving, if you've never given before, I believe that is the second hardest step. I'll talk about the hardest step next. But the second hardest step is just getting started. Because when you think about it, whether it's $5, $50, $500, whatever it is, when you start to think about it, well, that's less money for you. That's less money for you this week. That's immediate. That money's gone. And you think about all of the things that you would, you already don't have enough, right? There's the scarce. All right, so how can I, how can I give? And so we do, we, we kind of, we don't trust God in the sense that we say, I'll start giving when I get out of debt. I'll start giving when I get a raise. I'll start giving or I'll tithe when I win the lottery, right? Judd keeps promising me that. Um, so I'm, you know, fingers crossed, uh, he's going to win that someday. But I want to challenge that. I want to challenge that. Because if Jesus's life, death, and resurrection isn't enough to move us to generosity already, then an extra dollar an hour won't then paying off that credit card won't. Because what Jesus did is so much greater and better for any of us than those things. And if that doesn't move us to generosity, those things won't. 
It's when we step out in faith and we trust Jesus that we're, we really experience it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And we open the door when we do this. We open the door for God to do something supernatural in our finances. Paul told Philemon in uh, verse 6, I am praying for you that you will put into action the generosity, put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. You're a follower of Jesus and you love God. And he says, Philemon, I know you do, but now you got to put into practice the generosity that you that is a part of our faith. We put our faith into action when we give. And absolutely, this helps if you have a plan. Talk about being proactive, talking about being intentional. Planning is about being intentional and proactive. If you don't schedule anything on Saturday, whatever happens on Saturday is going to happen. It'll just be very reactive, right? Maybe you watch TV, maybe you won't. But if you have a plan on what you're going to do next Saturday, have it be with the kids, have it be you're going out with friends, you're going to go visit someone, you're going to go travel. Well, now that's a plan. I'm proactive and I'm, I'm taking control of my Saturday. And the same thing is true with our finances. We need a plan. We need to make the decision and make the plan that more isn't always better. I know that, but now I got to live like it. Okay, That getting out of debt, that's got to be a priority for me. I got to get out of debt. And that giving is an aspect of my faith that I'm not supposed to just do, but I'm supposed to grow in. And since it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, how can we come up with a plan to be a blessing to more people? How can we come up with the plan? And as part of the plan, very practically speaking, I would encourage you to set up a recurring gift. This is about being intentional. Pick the number. Pick the frequency. But just start. Take a step. And the reason I recommend recurring is because I know how life is. You're going to get paid on Friday and the freaking dryer is going to break. Right? Okay. <laughs> That's going to happen. And all of a sudden, I, I, I can't give because now I've got the dryer or, or the car is going to need the oil change. I get all of those things, which is why with, with our family, we do the reoccurring. So on the day that I get paid, I see two transactions from Madison Church. I see my paycheck go in and I see my, my tithe come out, my gift to the church go out. So it's right away. So it's like I've never even had the money. It's like I never even had it. And that's how I personally fight a scarcity mindset in my own life. I force myself because then I'm like, well, shoot, my dryer is broken and I do need to get it fixed. Where's this money going to come from? And it's in that moment that it's like, I just got to trust God. I just got to trust that God. And I I got my dryer fixed, guys. It it came through. This is a true story. This really did happen. Okay. So (laughs) this is how we fight the scarcity mindset. And so I would encourage you, you know, something's going to happen in your life and and not to go overly spiritual on you, but like you, you do have a spiritual enemy. You have spiritual foes who don't want you to walk in God's blessings for your life, that doesn't want God's will to be done in your life. So when God is saying, be generous, and I'm going to do some amazing thing, it won't just be a scarcity mindset, but you will open yourself up to a little bit of a spiritual attack in which, you know, you're going to hear those voices. You don't have enough. You don't have enough to give. You can't trust God like that. Don't trust God like that. That's irresponsible. That, that, when I get the spiritual attacks, when it comes to like giving or other aspects of my faith, it's always very pragmatic. So I said, ah, it's irresponsible. God wouldn't want you to do that. Well, I just read that he did. Well, you must misunderstand that. Huh, maybe I misunderstood that. And so we have to fight the scarcity mindset. We walk in what God has and we pray about it. But the second way that you can grow, okay? So for some of you, the, the step is that, just to take any step, 
any step of generosity is great. But the second way to grow in your grace of giving is to step forward. And usually, for those of you who, who do give regularly and you practice generosity, um, it usually starts with a small step, right? Like what we just talked about, just a small step, any step, get going. We get comfortable with that. Uh, you get used to it. You experience some of God's blessings, and then you get comfortable where you're at. You get comfortable. I'm doing it. Check the box. I'm practicing generosity. But we need to take a step forward. And like I already mentioned, this is going to be, I think, in my opinion, the hardest step that um, we push people to take. And that's, um, we want you to start tithing. We believe that this is biblical, that the tithe, which is to give back to God 10% of whatever we make. We see this act, if I'm going to go through the Bible really fast on tithing. Like, where does it come from? You've probably heard it talked about before. Um, tithing comes from a Hebrew word that literally means one-tenth. And we see tithing mentioned by name for the first time with Abraham, when God instructs Abraham to tithe. But we see tithing happen all the way back, not called by name, but with Cain and Abel. So the very first people we see out working, uh, Cain and Abel, they're supposed to bring the best of their livestock and the best of their, of their fruit and vegetables to the Lord. And then we see it's written down in Levitical law that, you know, if you're a Jew, you, you got to tithe whatever you got. If, if you're, if you're into steel and metals, you, you tithe steel and metals. If you harvest, you, you do your plants. And we see this go all the way through thousands of years, all the way to the time of Jesus. And though I want to clarify right now, you and I are not bound by Levitical law. Okay. So I'm not telling you to tithe because it's written in Leviticus. Okay. But in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus talking, he says, yes, you should tithe, but do not neglect the more important things. So if you were looking for an affirmation from Jesus and, and kind of this new covenant that we live under, it's right there. And what I love about this statement the most, I talked about this a little bit at our partner membership meeting. I love that Jesus says, do not neglect more, neglect more important things. He says, you know, there are way more important things than tithing. You know, there are way more important things than being generous. The examples he gives in this passage are mercy, justice, and faith. He says, there, you know, there are more important things. It's like, but if you can't get generosity right, forget about mercy. Forget about justice. Forget about faith. I mean, it's challenging, but that's what we expect to hear from Jesus. The guy who says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, we absolutely should expect him to say something like, yeah, generosity, yeah, it's important. Tithing, yeah, it's important. It's not as important as justice. If we can't get that right, then we're not going to get justice right. And a funny fact about this passage, uh, it's triggered our one and only one-star review on Google. Uh, so if you go to Google and you Google Madison Church and you'll see that we've, you know, 30 ratings and we're like at a 4.9 and we got a one-star and they're like, you know, they, they teach tithing at their church. And it's a person we've, I've never met before. They teach tithing. And I love a one-star review like that. I love it. Because our church and what we believe about generosity and finances is offensive to the rest of the world. How we talk about generosity and living open-handed and with an abundant mindset bothered someone. It offended them that they went to Google and they've never met us and they gave us a one star. It's too radical. Good. Because if there's anything I want to be known for when it comes to radicalness, I want to be known as radically generous. And that's fine. I think I thanked them 
I was, I'm the one who replies to the Google comments. I think if you go and look at it, I think I thanked him. So um, <laughs> I did. It's missional, guys. It's missional that we believe in this. And it's awesome if it bothers people who don't know God. And it's awesome if it bothers people who can't understand how you can be so generous. That's awesome. That's a testimony. That's way better than anything you can tell them. They know that Jesus loves them. They've heard that before. They've heard the street preachers talk about hell. They do that. But have they heard and seen you living financially, like peaceful with joy, even though you're not a millionaire? Well, now that might intrigue some people. We see that um, the early church and, and even the followers of Jesus had a hard time. In Malachi 3, this is a passage you might have heard before. Um, God is speaking through the prophet Malachi. says, bring all the tithes to the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it all in. Try it. Put me to the test. For those of you who are kind of Bible nerds, okay, we're told over and over again, don't test the Lord your God. Over and over again. Old Testament, New Testament, the devil, while tempting Jesus in the wilderness, says, why don't you test God? And Jesus says, no, 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 I can't test God. But here God gives us permission. This is the only time in the entire Bible that you're allowed to test God. And God says, when it comes to your money, test me. Test me and see that I don't open up heaven and just pour it out. Now, I want to clarify that does not mean you're winning the lottery this week. It does not mean you're going to get the raise, the promotion at work. I don't read it as a get-rich-quick scheme. But aren't blessings a lot more than stuff? Aren't blessings a lot more than money? And perhaps God's blessings, you won't even know what they were but you'll be really thankful someday that you had them. You won't know when God protected you from being harmed or hurt or injured or sick. Those are the kind of blessings that I want to walk in. And this isn't my words. These are God's words who says, try me on this. Now, I know a lot of you are probably thinking, or you're watching, listening online, you're thinking, giving 10% is crazy and it's impossible. In order to do that, I would have to totally and completely 100% rearrange my life around God. Yeah, that's kind of the point. It is the point. And that's why it's the hardest step. Because it's a total surrender of something so tangible that we put so much faith and trust in and putting it into something that is intangible and putting more faith and trust in that. But this is what we do at Madison Church. We challenge each other. We challenge each other to seek God every day. Read the Bible every day. We tell people that. We're not ashamed of that. We tell people pray every day. We say, seek other, you know, seek God in our weekly gatherings. Seek God in your small group. Go out to eat with one another. And now we're challenging you with your finances, this resource that is limited. Trust God with it. And so for some of you, you're on your first step. That's great. That's great. Ignore what I'm about to say. For those of you who have been on this step, though, what would happen if you tried tithing for the next 90 days? You just tried it. You're putting God to the test. Seems fair. Says do it. So what if for the next 90 days, you put God to the test? If you get 100 bucks, you give God 10. You get 1,000, you give God 100. And what would happen? Now, the thing is, I've given this challenge in the past. Some of you guys who have been around Madison Church a little bit longer, you know I've done this before. And I can tell you, testimony-wise, I've never had somebody try it and then get to the end of it and say they wasted money. I've never had somebody try it and then stop tithing after it. That was the next thing. I was, I was actually raking my brain. I'm like, when was the last time I gave the challenge? And then who tried And I was like, okay, yeah, they tried it and they tried it and they, they're still doing it. 
And it's amazing. And then they talk about all of the ways that God showed up. And they said, we thought you were crazy. We thought you were crazy, but we gave it a shot. And it's great. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And I know that uh, for many of us, in order to live the kind of ways that we've been talking about today, it, it is going to have to be rearranged. And maybe that starts with an idea that less is more. Maybe it starts with the idea that i got to pay off debt. Um, it's a step of faith and generosity. But it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And in closing, I just want to mention that I know this is a tough, challenging talk. We won't cover it again for two years. So you guys, you know, praise Jesus, right? But I want to end with this because I told you one of my goals at the beginning was not that you'd feel guilty, ashamed. I don't want you to feel manipulated. So I want to end with this passage in 2 Corinthians again. Uh, but this one's in chapter 9 and it's verse 7. Paul says, you much eat, must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. If anything said in the last 30 minutes makes you feel pressured, well, biblically, Paul says, don't give then. So if you needed to hear that, I want you to hear that. If you feel manipulated, ashamed, guilt, any of those things, Paul says, okay, don't give. But I want you to be able to discern today a difference between manipulated and pressured and challenged. Because growth always happens through challenge. And there are always growing pains. And so today, if right now you just feel challenged, that's so awesome. I'm so happy for you. And you don't have to go through it alone. We're all here for you. We have each other's back. There are people, I'm looking at them all over the room, who live the way that we've talked about today. We're just giving something, getting started, and we celebrate that. But who are taking steps of generosity to tithe, we celebrate that too. And I just want you to know that we're here for you. We love you. We care for you. And we want to see God do amazing things in your life. Giving is good. And may God help us grow in the grace of giving.